The following is brought to you by the Starfleet Podcast Network, SPN, The Spin. We were doing this thing where you would, you would, we would watch the episodes of Star Trek and kind of narrate over those. And one of the guys said, what if we got some kind of like cease and desist from CBS? And this is before the whole streaming thing, Paramount Plus. And I said, well, that would be great. That would be awesome because that means that we're on the radar. I'm Big J with Beyond Trek Podcast, and I'm here with Scott Nakata. Now, did I get that the last name pronounced right? Yes, you did. Okay. Okay, great. Perfect. Wanted to make sure I had that. Now, looking at your background in Star Trek, I see that you did some work with the fan film Star Trek Renegades, and which was great fan film, by the way. So, want to talk a little bit about that. And especially some of the the other things and other projects that you're involved in. So, if we could, I'd like to start there and have you tell us a little more about your work with that with that film. How you, I guess, how you got it, uh, what you did with it, and if there's anything else Trek that you've got going forward. Well, um, uh, how much time do we have again? Like. Like an hour? Yep. Like an hour. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Use use up as much of that as you'd like. Um, all right. So, it is a, a, a kind of a long story. All right. Um, and I actually have to, to get to the point where we talk about Star Trek Renegades, I actually have to talk about what came before Renegades. Um, and that was a little project called Star Trek of Gods and Men. Uh, I'm sure that you're probably familiar with it sure am yes another good one okay so way back when and i think it was 2002 uh or 2003 it was it was way back when and my memory can't go back that far perfectly <laughs> i know how you feel i'm the same way um so i was the producers for star trek of gods and men sky conway and uh writers ethan Kalk and Jack Trevino wanted to do this little homage to the stars, right? Uh, uh, homage to Star Trek. Um, and uh, it was interesting. So I, I don't, not sure how they got in touch with each other. I, I think uh, Peter Christian probably just answered an email or a posting on a, on a chat forum back then. I, uh, and he's, I wouldn't be surprised if Peter chimes in somewhere in the comments. Um, well, we hope so. <laughs> um, and uh, he uh, he reached out to to be a part of this fan film project, and another friend of mine responded saying that he knew a guy that could make props. And um, at the time, I had just started my business. Uh, that was Escape Sci-Fi Originals. I, I, it's now Nakata Studios because I do so much more than just props now. Um, and uh, he, Keith Marshall was the gentleman that responded. And he, so he reached out to me and one friend leads to another. And so uh, I wound up making props for gods and men and 
through that production, that experience, um, which was an entirely different, crazy story unto itself, um, in a lot of respects and regards. Um, we wound up getting to the point where we started talking about Star Trek Renegades, uh, several years later. Um, Jack Trevino had an idea for this dirty dozen in space. And, um, if I recall right, uh, they, they lined up a couple different actors, um, notably originally, uh, Walter Koenig's son was slated to be the captain of, um, uh, of the, of the Icarus. And originally we wanted it to be just this, this derelict freighter. So I did some artwork and, uh, Sky looked into some crowdfunding and other funding options. And, um, eventually we wound up coming to this point where we had a, a web page up, uh, showing initial designs of the, of the other ship. And, and we had reached out to a couple of the other artists that were on, of gods and men. So we, in essence, brought everyone that we could to Star Trek Renegades. Um, but with Renegades, we really wanted to make sure that this was a very, very different kind of Star Trek. What we really wanted to do was take this and show it to the powers that be at, at CBS and Paramount Studios and say, okay, guys, this is what we would like to propose for a new series. Right. Um, and we had a lot of positive feedback in many uh, ways. Um, and, uh, we really just made the look of this a little bit more advanced than what we had seen in like, uh, uh, Deep Space Nine, for example, or, or Voyager. You know, just take it and just move it up a notch so we weren't moving outside the realm of what we knew as Star Trek. Um, and unfortunately, the whole thing got kiboshed for a couple of years because Walter's son, unfortunately, committed suicide. And you know, that was heartbreaking and depressing on so many, so many levels. Um, personally, um, professionally, I mean, we all remember what that, what that was like for uh, Walter back then and what a lot of the fan reaction was, you know, watching his son growing up on TV um, uh, and watching Walter plead on television for his son's safe return and everything and the unfortunate result. Um, yeah, that, that was very difficult for, for all of us. It was, absolutely. Um, but a few years later, I don't remember what it was specifically, but I just, I remember I got a phone call from Sky and he said, all right, well, we're going to go ahead and do this thing. And, um, I started doing some design work, uh, for it, started doing, 
uh, various incarnations of the, the original ship design started uh, myself, several of the artists, Roland Barron started working on the initial model for the, uh, the Icarus. Uh, Chris Dawson came back as a visual effects supervisor, Matt Boardman. Um, ah, gosh, we had a lot of people coming back from Of Gods and Men. And then uh, Tobias Richter came on as well uh, to be one of the visual effects supervisors. Um, Justin Durbin was amazing in the original shoots. Uh, well, and not just the shoots, the, the, his music permeated the, 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 the final film, as you know, uh, just beautifully. Um, and he did he contributed a lot of behind the scenes artwork, uh, like, uh, graphical elements like uh, uh animated computer screens that we saw on the Icarus um and uh, uh, uh a lot of that he he really is a true consummate artist i have nothing but the greatest respect for the guy um but you know with with this star trek what we wanted to do was we knew that we had a storyline that was completely different from anything else that had been thought of before, you know, um, in this modern age of entertainment, you know, we see television shows and series that are very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, very much based in espionage. Right. Right. And that was something that we had touched on briefly in Star Trek, but we really never had seen. So when we went ahead and, and wrote this, or when the, when Jack and Jack, Ethan and Sky wrote the script, they really wanted to take that as aspect, that darker area of what the, of how the Federation got their information and, and executed for the safety of uh, Federation citizens, uh, the, the things that normal Starfleet couldn't do, you know, it was truly the dirty dozen in space. Um, and uh, it was, it became very dark in places, but I think that's just the way our society has moved into the direction our society and a lot of our entertainment has moved into. Um, I mean, some of you might even say that we're, very dystopian now. Absolutely. I think so. And you're right. That is, I think we forget some of the parts of Starfleet and the Federation that we know are there. At least we should, but there's really not a light that is put on it. And it's that right there. There are things that have to happen behind the scenes, kind of like section 31, it's the same thing that, that they have to do where we know that there's this kind of underground agency or group that has to do things that are, I was word I'm looking for, like off the books, off the record. And if anything happens, of course, they're, these are, these are jobs or positions where they're, uh, Oh, geez, I'm having a hard time when you when you don't 
recognize someone who did something, it's, um, I know it's going to, to come Over. to me later. Uh, did, um, not, not covert. Uh, Shadow up. I'm, it's gonna, it's like right, it's right there. Uh, disavow. To disavow the the actions uh, that that have happened. So I think that that is a great plot point. A great story is to spend some time on what is it that happens and is done behind the scenes. Kind of some of the more the more darker stuff that really is a part of Star Trek. We don't see a whole lot, but it is there and having a story based on that, I think really at the time was, was different, probably a little controversial too. Did you get the, the feeling that that was the case? Oh, Oh, when we released, it was hugely controversial. Um, the most vocal fan reaction was the most critical when we released. Um, I mean, we knew that we had something special, when we were working on this, it's one of those things where you just feel the magic in the air. That's the best way I can describe it. Um, and it was, it was funny because we, we, uh, saw an ad on uh, uh, our teaser trailer airing on CNN at one point. Um, and they, and the network cleaned that up uh, on their subsequent web re-release. Um, and then uh, on the day of the release, if this is any kind of badge of honor, I don't know that it really is, but we were the second most bit-torrented and pirated movie <laughs> on the internet next to the Avengers that day. <laughs> I think that that's good. That's, yeah, I would take that as a badge of honor. <laughs> Of course, you would. I don't know. I don't know what what take of that. I think that that's pretty good. There was a point where, uh, with with us with our podcast, we were doing this thing where you would you would we would watch the episodes of Star Trek and kind of narrate over those. And one of the guys said, "What if we got some kind of like cease and desist from CBS?" And this is before the whole streaming thing, Paramount Plus. And I said. Well, that would be great. That would be awesome because that means that we're on the radar and and someone knows about us. So it's it's almost like getting something like that is still a plus. No, kind of sounds odd, but I would say that yeah, we're the we were the second most bit torrented movie behind the Avengers. I take it. I that's that's a plus. So so yeah, we we really wanted to 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 do something different and a lot of people a lot of professionals love what we were putting forward our our cameraman tristan bernard um he's the one that pointed that out to the group that we were the second most demanded uh, uh film of the day um but the fan reaction that we got from renegades um we thought we had something special on our hands and we thought that it was hugely successful for, for our, from our aspect, from, from storytelling point of view, because we had some fantastic, fantastic talent on board. Uh, Brian Winia, um, geez, he was a creature designer. Um, Yoshi Vu was another one of our, uh, uh artists. 
Um, we had just an amazing, amazing team of artists uh, for art department. And these are all mainly volunteers. You know, we spent, I think it was 16 days filming this thing. Um, and we filmed it at location on, uh, at Laurel Canyon stages. And we were turning over the sets, um, within hours. Um, and we had some substantial, some substantial, um, uh, challenges that we had to overcome during this. Um, from lighting to the producer, to this guy showing up and being like, no, 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 I don't like the set. Redress it. Make it look more cavernous. What? Okay. You oh, oh it, you can't just do. Well, that. we did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure you did, but it's, I'm sure it was not easy. Um. So, so we had this idea that we would be inside this, grown structure right and we had these wall segments there are just flats that need to be um organized like like the inside of a whale bone right or like a whales you know you, you see jonah's whale and everything else and or or you, you imagine walking through a set of dinosaur skeletons with the with the uh, spine above your head you know and your ribs on your left and right that was our our initial idea and uh this was for the uh the the, uh, the caves and the in the in the shot um or in the uh the, all the siphon caves and um sky came in um looked at this set and said it doesn't work fix it so <laughs> we wound up uh going to uh uh, uh our GE guys and uh <clears throat> borrowing all of their black foil and filling in all the different spaces and everything else and uh spray painting some gray over it well as i'm working our our director tim russ he's we have like all kinds of motion and activity going on and uh People are frantic. It's an all hands on deck situation because we're supposed to roll in like 30 minutes and we're still in the middle of like redoing the set because, you know, uh, Mr. Conway just said, no. <laughs> right. Um, and I remember Tim, Tim's walking around the set really, really excited. Really excited. He's got his little, uh, got a cell phone out. He's moving it around, right? And even though in in real life you could see where all the the black foil had been added quickly and everything else, and just stuff crammed into corners and spray paint, you know, quick, just adding a little bit of highlight to those pieces of crumpled foil, um, it blended very well on camera. And Tim smacks me hard on the elbow. I'm like, what'd I do? <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm sure that was unexpected. And, and, and he's excited is what it is. He's just <laughs> thrilled. He's like, look at this. It matches perfectly on camera. Oh, awesome. Great. <laughs> so I still have a job. That's good. Yeah. I've got my director's 
okay and thumbs up on that. So, you know, we, we finished that up and that became the, the, uh, the T-junction set where the firefight was in that, uh, in the Siphon case. Okay. Um, but I mean, despite all this amazing effort and everything else, when the film opened, um, and I start, sorry about getting distracted and sidetracked. Um, well, that's fine. And it was released to the uh, internet. The kind of fan reaction that we got was completely unexpected. Um, from our perspective, we had done something that was amazing, something that was truly a labor of love. Um, and our visual effects people worked tirelessly. You can't even tell where the actual visual effects shots are. Um, and just to give you, uh, you and your listeners or our, our, our audience, uh, an idea, the entire or all the scenes where we're, we are on the Archer Bridge is basically a visual effect shot. We had real elements, um, but the entire back wall was manually rotoscoped for the entire sequence. That's a lot of work. That is a lot of work. Matt Boardman and uh, a couple of, of our other artists were really just sitting there pulling out their hair uh, on a lot of that. Um, uh, and it, that took an enormous, enormous amount of time to do, especially when you don't have a real budget to work on. I mean, you know, uh, just between Matt and, and Chris, I think they probably put in a million dollars worth of their own time into it. Um, but I don't, I can't imagine what Yoshi and some of the other artists that went on to do more amazing things in their careers. Like Yoshi went on to work on, uh, Star Wars. So he's done stuff for Kenobi Mandal, uh, the Mandalorian Star Wars episode nine. He built the Death Star. Um, that's yeah, amazing. yeah, our guys went on to do amazing things. Matt Borman went on to go be on Top Gun Maverick, billion dollar film, right? He was on that for two years. Um, Chris Dawson, oh my gosh, check out his IMDb. Hi, Chris. Um, <laughs> but yeah, these guys went on to do amazing things. So we had really great talent on board, but despite all that, uh, the fans really hated, uh, what they saw. They were, they were very, very, very vocal, um, in what we, we had presented. And for the longest time, every single one of us were like, Oh, well, that sucked. <laughs> There's a saying that we've got that no one hates Star Trek more than a Star Trek fan. And it sounds like, and it is, we see that a lot. And it sounds like this is one of those cases, which to me, it feels like, and I'm sure you can agree that you spend all of this time and effort on something that you feel is going to be a good story, good plot, good movie, very entertaining. Then you put it out to that audience and that happens. So I'm sure that had to be pretty frustrating. It wasn't really frustrating. We were just really shocked. Um, 
But there was a good thing that came out of this, too. It was a life lesson that basically said, hey, the most vocal people that you're going to hear from at first are your critics. The people that the first ones you'll hear from are the ones that are just anxious to criticize, to tell you what you should have done, tell you what you should have done and how you could have done it better. So you're right. You're at the. I don't know why. I don't know why the critics are the first ones to jump out, but they are. And you know that there are a lot of people that think it's positive and take it as a good thing. But for whatever reason, you don't hear from them as much. But the critics, oh, yeah, they they can't wait to tell you what you did incorrectly or what you should have done. One of the things that was most interesting about that is... uh uh, and, I, I see this every day when I, when I work for clients or if I do a commission for somebody. Um, the people that are truly happy and will never say anything. Right. And the one person that is unhappy about something probably represents about 100 people that do like something. Right. Mm-hmm. So. What we came to realize, this this was kind of odd, you know, so we released, I think it was in, what was it, May or something? But after we released, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Okay, so I'm going to go do the Star Trek convention, right? I'm going to set up my table. I'm going to start selling my stuff, putting my wares out. And this is like, what was that, 2012? Um, and I'm going to get berated about this thing. And the reaction I received was just the opposite. There was a lot of fans saying how much they loved the show, loved what we did. Right. Um, and, and that was fantastic. I mean, there, there was, there were a lot of professionals, a lot of people involved um, with this, and there were a lot of amazing, amazing, talented people um, that were Trek alumni, both in front of and behind the camera, uh, involved um, in in a lot of different ways. Um, and uh, ultimately, uh, I guess Sky talked to to, to people. Um, as far as I know, uh, and, uh, you know, the decision was made to really not pursue it at at the studio level. Okay. You know, we did this amazing thing. And, uh, as far as being a fan film goes, we're really excited about it. Um, I, I really can't really say too much else about, uh, that aspect of it. But I mean, when we, like when we when we were on the Icarus Bridge, right? Um, we, we filmed at Laurel Canyon stages, and uh, that sh- those stages were built for the television series Firefly. Oh uh, yes, yes. In fact, you can see them for the first time with fresh paint in their second episode. It was a derelict uh, colony ship, I believe it was, or something like that. Uh, it had just been. Uh, looted by, or are they called ravagers? Uh, reavers. Reavers. Reavers, Reaper. Reapers. Uh, no, it's Reavers. Okay. 
I'm yeah. going to get highly criticized for not remembering that. I I should know that, but yeah, I think it is. It was Reavers. So the uh, the bridge set is actually the engineering section in that, and uh, it, this was actually the second time we had used uh, Laurel Canyon stages because the first time we used it um, was back in of Gods and Men when it was in the space station office that uh, Ethan was in. Um. And <laughs> that 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 was the uh, of course the uh, the bridge in the Firefly episode. Um, so we didn't wind up really using much of that set at all, except for when um, this is another one of those we have no money issues. Um, the question became asked: Were we going to show this this scene where of this woman being dragged off into the dark? Right, because we don't have any money, more money. Our all of our budget is spent. And I said, "Well, we got all these sections back over here." So right in the back of that of that Starship bridge that they showed on Firefly, and that was the space station's office in Star Trek of Gods and Men. There's a small T junction, right? And I told, and I said to the guys, "Okay, this is our location where she gets dragged off into the darkness. So we just make sure that this doorway back here is dark." perfectly easily doable and then uh, she just comes running around the corner trips drops to the ground siphon grabs her pulls her back into the darkness and it worked great i mean it was the simplest solution and um our our opening shots when we're um on the on the mining planet um which was that that graphic was beautifully done by chris dawson um for the establishing shot that that opening set was literally built on their green screen using all the movable walls and everything else that we could find in the studio like literally at that point we had spent virtually all the rest of our t budget we didn't have any thing to build uh or any, any budget to work with and so just at the back of the Lord of Canyon stages, they had all kinds of walls and movable things. And so we just, I had the, the, uh, the stage or the, the, the film crew and our art department literally pull up all the, uh, pallets, which were doubling as decorating, uh, for the, uh, interior corridors and move them on top of the green screen, set them up with the walls, uh, that were flyable. Uh, from the other uh, side of the of the uh, the uh, stages, and just we just built the set in front on top of the green. Um, quick, easy setup to do, and you know, I mean, there and it, it worked. Is. It does, yeah, exactly. It sold. So here's what I'd like to hear a little more about. You yeah. uh, mentioned. Nakata Studios. So you've got your own self-interest, self-business. Let's hear a little bit about that. I want to hear about the stuff that you do that you're doing outside of Star Trek and how you got there with that. And if you kind of find yourself going back to that or that you've completely, I guess, not to say you've gotten free of Star Trek, but has your experience there with Renegades put you into a thing where this is this is my own deal, my own 
studio, my own work, and Star Trek propelled me there. So, here we go into another story. Okay. I, I love the stories. Lay it on me. Um, well, yeah, I mean, life is a chain, right? So you can't get to one link without the other, but, um, so following up on Renegades, um, Star Trek Renegades, we, uh, of course did the Kickstarter and the, uh, the follow-up, uh, Star Trek Renegades, the Requiem, right? And it was, uh, to be prime timeline Chekhov's swan song if you will. Um, I mean, Walter Koenig at that point in time, you know, he, and I just saw him, uh, uh earlier, uh, a few years, a few months ago. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he really wanted to give Chekhov a rest. That's okay. the best way I can describe it. Um, and in the middle of filming, New rules came down from Paramount Studios and CBS about fan film rules. The, the yeah. Fan film, right? Yeah. Um, well, we were on our third day of filming <laughs> when that happened. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot make this up. So filming stops that day. Yeah. Right. I get the message. Hold on. Don't do anything. New rules came down. We're frozen. Right. So Frank Zanka, our, our producer says that he called over to CBS legal and, and got the verbal okay to go forward with it. But, uh, Sky was very afraid of going forward with that at that point because he didn't want to be sued into the ground for making a fan film. Right. Um, right. And, uh, that was really the last time we would see a shell, um, in that particular role. And so the whole thing became renegades, the Requiem, right? Mm -hmm. Strip out everything Star Trek because of legal reasons. Um, so we had to come up with an entirely new look. And I remember turning to Kira Finlay, who was a truck driver at that time. Now she's now, uh, autonomous vehicle, uh, uh, technician or employee she collects data and does all kinds of stuff for the industry now mm -hmm. uh, but she was a truck driver at the time and so she had literally picked up a load to go from Tennessee to California to be part of filming right um, and uh, I had to turn to her at that exact moment and go okay I need a new starship. Drop everything you're doing, and and yeah, just just start start making something. And it needs to be like this. It needs to be more pokey stabby is our joke, um, <laughs> because everything in Renegades is pokey stabby. You like look at all the antennas and everything coming off the Icarus, and all the design work winds up being pokey stabby. Um, and, and the joke is that if it's not Siphon, it can't kill you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so everything's pokey stabby and renegades. So we had to have a starship that was more pokey stabby and more Icarus shaped because we couldn't do Star Trek anymore. Right. And so she started doing that work on the stages and 
She took off uh, our Renegades logos. Then I instructed her to strip out the, the words that say Star Trek on and the top line just flipped the bottom bar up on top. Uh, and that became our new logo. I mean, we did it like that fast on the stage. Um, as we're trying to figure out how to not be Star Trek anymore, which is really difficult to do when you're geared up to do a Star Trek fan film. And it, it was a sequel. It was, it was supposed to be a sequel to, to be a sequel. The, the first one was a, how do you do a non Star Trek sequel to a Star Trek film? Exactly. And when you're in the middle of doing it, maybe yes, we've like, already started. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, Rob Dobbs, uh, Dragon Drene, Alzacaria, you know, they were all there. Um, well, a lot of the, uh, of, uh, other Star Trek fans, David Chang and, and, uh, just uh, a lot of other really, really great, great guys, uh, were there. Um, uh, oh gosh, I, I, I am sorry, Lieutenant Jay, but I forgot. You can't forget Lieutenant J. Lieutenant, oh God, she's gonna kill me too. Um, it's not like I don't talk to her on Facebook or anything else. God, I so oh, tra uh, yeah, Tracy Coco. Tracy, yeah, Tracy. Tracy. Yeah, sorry, Tracy. God, I'm, I'm <laughs> my mind blank. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> but I remember Tracy came out and uh, uh, she was there for a day, and it was. It was another hot day on set and she she was in the now purple mourn costume right right that they that she they asked her her, her wardrobe asked hey are you or, or was it makeup i'm sorry it was makeup are you afraid of putting or are you okay with wearing a prosthetic right and so they put this giant freaking mourn bag on her head <laughs> i remember coming around the corner and seeing her and, and and the person that she was with i think it was a manager or something lift off this head right and she's just covered in sweat yeah like, oh god are you okay do you need anything because i mean damn she just looks at me and you know sweat <laughs> Dripping down her face. No, oh, I'm good. <laughs> so, so we we go through all that, and, and um, you know, the filming wraps up, um, and it, it gets released to the public in bits and pieces. Um, a lot of people still ask what happened with all that, and, and uh, the, the truth is that a lot of the budget really wasn't all there to really execute it i think better we you know time crunches budgetary crunches all that um and that's just the production reality um plus you know being torpedoed in the proverbial middle of it you know added to difficulties i think that deflated a lot of the uh uh people that were working on it by the time post-production wrap uh, came about i was no longer involved with it um oh is that so yeah, yeah, they. I don't know if it was a budgetary thing or if it was a no decision. I, it, it's what it, what it is. Yeah. Um, I got involved in a couple bits and pieces, but nowhere near with the extent of the involvement I was on Renegades, the first one. Um, the first one I was post production art director on and still 
creating design work like uh, uh, Mr. Rick Sternbach and I worked on the USS Archer for that. Rick provided me three different images because he was in the middle of moving his house um, when that whole thing came up. And I just kind of took bits and pieces of what he had created and moved them into something that looked more interesting. Um, and then after that, uh, I created the rest of the isomers, uh, isometric views so that a 3D model could be made. Um, that was the 3D model was executed by, uh, Yoshibu and Tobias Ricker. Um, but, uh, getting back to Renegades. So we wound up after release of the second film, um, we wound up creating yet a third film, which I had even less involvement on. I think I was asked to provide a, 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 a couple of the, uh, the, the, the heavy pistols. Um, and uh, they went out and released their own thing. And uh, I guess it was shown to Amazon and one other studio. But I haven't heard anything else about it. I mean, with the writer's strike and the actor's strike, I'm not really surprised. Um, and um, that leads me to your question. <laughs> we'll get there. We got there. It's the, the links in the chain, which I really like that, that saying that you had there. I think we're going to have to credit you with that if it's, if it's said again. Of, of famous quotes that's from Scott Nakata. Oh, thank you. Um, please, yes, do use it as much as you wish to. Um, but uh, so as time went on um, and uh, all this stuff happened with Star Trek and everything else, and I was involved with the Roddenberry store from 2007 up to closing. Um, a lot of fans came to me for stuff and a lot more fans decided to be more creative on their own. You know, a, a lot of stuff happened, a lot of, well, stuff meaning, what, what's a good way of describing it? Um, less interest in what you might do. Less interest in... Uh, what you've got to offer because somebody doing something else, newer, bigger, better, uh, came to be, or there are better studio offerings because people want to support the franchise. I would love to support the franchise, you know, pick up a license to do what I do best or be involved with the Star Trek productions. I mean, that would be amazing. Um, it's not that I don't know people. It's I'm not there. Yeah. Um, not that that couldn't be remedied or anything, but, um, but, uh, at one point, you know, Sky and I were talking and, uh, I was expressing my woes mm -hmm. and he says, well, why don't you just take your business and rebrand as, I don't know, Nakata Studios. And, um, Perfect oh, name. I'm sure is what you're thinking. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I'm thinking. Well, that's 
Yeah, I don't know about the name. You know, what really went through my head was, what? you know, it's it's got a certain ring, but damn, that's egocentric. Well, but when you look when you look at it this way, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be the first. There are many, many, many businesses and outfits out there that are the name of the person. So you shouldn't feel that that's egotistical or, or anything like that. I'm I'm sure that probably the knee jerk reaction is that, but well, that, that that's that is exactly what I thought when. <laughs> When when the idea came across, yeah, and um, and and like you had just said, that was that was the thing, right? A lot of people, Stan Winston, um, uh, of course not ILM, but yeah, <laughs> uh, there are a lot of other companies, a lot of individuals that wind up branding their company with their name because I mean, what else do you do? Yeah. Why make up something when you could just make it easy on yourself and just make it based off your name? And plus, that puts your name in in people's heads. I think exactly. instead of just like coming up with something generic. Exactly. Um, it's it wound up giving me the ability to really explore and offer more of what I do for people everywhere um so i mean all since my experiences with renegades um what i've been doing is just working on smaller projects fan film not fan films per se i mean people came to me for more fan film stuff after renegades um sam cockings uh asked me to help them with several different pieces things like that for his for his projects um and then um having a little fun here and there you know helping out people on different other fan films like uh i worked on star trek continues for a little bit uh providing costume pieces and wardrobe stuffs um i created their uh their uh phasers for it uh it was based on my mark ii concept prop um and then uh uh farragut forward did uh, a, a couple things for john you know n- n- nothing huge or anything else just a couple small things um so i've been staying in contact with the fans you know being a fan um and i still post uh, on my Facebook page, you know, different fan stuffs that I enjoy and like and everything. That's, that's what we do. It's, we're, we're fans. I mean, come on. It yeah. is. Absolutely. Well, that's that's the thing. And that's how how you and I came to meet is that you start building this this network, meeting more fans, because, of course, that's something that we we all have in common. And you start meeting people, meeting people, sharing this thing that you, that you like and enjoy. And then before you know it, you start, you start seeing this interconnection, I think, because as I look through the posts, uh, for example, from, for yourself and for others, it seems like people are kind of, we're, 
I don't think I, I think I could say that we're maybe not a tight knit group. We're, we're certainly, um, e- exclusive to, to others, but there's more of a community out there, I think, than we know. The, the community for Star Trek is really, really huge. Uh, that's the best way I can describe it. Um, you know, people that I know on productions, um, uh, they're all amazing, great people and everything else. Um, and, uh, they're fans too, but they're just, they just simply are. I mean, of course I'm a fan of like other people's works that hang out. I've been more on it since, well, TOS, but, um, that's also what inspired me to continue doing what I do. So Nakata studios is more or less the legacy in a lot of ways of of fandom of being inspired by those people that did that before um and that's you know taken me into different directions where on certain other productions like alternatives um we've explored the world uh our universes um and that's a a project with uh uh, michael uh korolenko um and uh there were there have been a couple others, but there's the one that I'm I'm uh, uh, most passionate right now, and I'm looking to get fundraised and everything else. So, <gasps> shock! <laughs> uh, we appreciate the hustle. Shock scoop. <laughs> um, so, if you've been uh, paying attention on my social media on Facebook and uh, on X. I mean, Twitter. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's still thing. Twitter to me. Still Twitter. <laughs> the X formerly known as Twitter. Yeah. It's a Z uh, now, right? Not a tweet. That's X, right. Z. Jeez. It's a Z now. God. <laughs> um, so Elon Musk, if you want to back this. Um, so I'm working on a project that I've created uh, with several of the other members from renegades on board uh doing modeling work and some development stuffs and another gentleman by the name of uh john lovett who's a script writer with over 20 years experience uh writing professionally um we've developed this project called starship echelon and it is something that i think that most star trek fans will be able to get into um it has a similar kind of handyism or roddenberryism uh to what star trek had right that positive message of hope um and you know i've I've shown it to to a couple people i can't say who okay uh for for obvious reasons um they've got bigger names you would recognize them okay if, if i did mention them um right on a post-it uh, note when we're done just hold it up to the camera and real slow and then put it back down no that's probably that probably wouldn't work either but <laughs> um yeah here, here we go <laughs> um but oh wait hang on here post-production insert <laughs> i love it <laughs> um so uh yeah, these individuals are, are uh, uh, they have bigger names, they're household uh, in a lot of ways. Um, but Starship Echelon, it's 
it approaches the universe and and people from I think what I feel is a more relatable position to where we are now. I mean, uh, Star Trek is great science fiction. Star Wars is great science fiction. Uh, the, the ghost in the shell, the advancements in AI that we talk about, that we see now, right? These things are huge advances in medical technology that, I mean, where do you begin? Uh, I saw today that there's, that scientists trap light in a metal material. Oh, really? And they okay. were able to amplify the magnetism in light. 10 times. <laughs> now we're just, we're, we're playing around with science and things that like, I think that's amazing, but also to me, some of this seems a little scary. Quantum computing. And we all, we all hear about this thing. We all talk about this thing. We all talk about what makes us us. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but quantum computing does something that is, more interesting than um, than what we know classically, right? Classical computer, you know, does takes a, a time to complete an operation, right? To mm -hmm. come up with the outcomes. A quantum computer comes out with the outcome by running all permutations more or less at the same time. Right. Right. And that's how it can happen that much faster. That's why they have an entirely different unit of measure for the power that a quantum computer has versus a, uh, a classical computer. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of these scientists that are working on these computers set are saying that or these quantum systems and artificial intelligence systems are saying that, no, these these things are actually like real you can actually see like an MRI on the, on a person's brain, how the interactions of the user are exciting or, or creating emotion in the, uh, uh in the, uh, AI. Uh, and, and you can see the spikes, peaks and valleys when you're watching it work. And that to me is, is mind boggling that that's even a possibility. And so with, Starship Echelon, we're going to the universe. We, we get that, that, that how to road. How do we get from where we are now to a near, uh, near future, 100 years from now, where we are, where humanity is on the brink, right? No nuclear war, no post, post apocalyptic societies. Um, but humanity, it nonetheless it has changed the world so much that we are facing something else that forces humanity off the planet. That, that's it right. in a nutshell, but our people are relatable. Like, um, how, how do you deal with, uh, hot button topics like, uh, drug addiction? Right. What, what, what drives a person to, to be flawed that way? Uh, what drives a person to be disliked by others? Look, I, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm going to go a little bit heavy. Um, so 
my, and I know that you've experienced this yourself, right? So, uh, like racism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. How, how do we, how do we do deal with that? How do we deal with that in the future? How do we deal with it when it could be something completely different? Like, um, for a ghost in the shell reference, like mm-hmm. that character in that is dead. Well, we have a character in ours that is dead. Right. How do we treat that person? Right. In the, right. In the manner of speaking, we're talking about very much the same things. Why, why is being different, looking different, not being, you know, what someone calls the same as them? Why is that acceptable to someone else? What makes it uh, not acceptable? What can a person do to show that they're the same as anyone else? Right. So we tackle these hot and button topics and issues in a relatable kind of way um, that really puts a dramatic impact and point on, on, on people and society. And it gives us a voice to speak to that from. And uh, I mean, not to go too political anymore. And unfortunately, it's going to go there. Um, but a lot of the people that are Democrats, Republicans, or independent voters that that read this um, and really love this, you know, um, it, it has the ability to bring people together and have that conversation in ways that are profound if we can get this thing funded. And that's where we're having our stumbling block right now is, is just rounding up the money for it. Well, it sounds like a very good project. And I know it's, it's intriguing to me. I would love to see this. And I think that that's, you're right. That's probably one of the biggest hurdles and can be very frustrating when you've got this thing, you've got this idea, this concept that you want to do that you're really passionate about, but then it comes to the big thing, come down to the money and being able to get the budget for that. So hopefully you'll be able to get that. I know I, I'm sure I'm not alone in saying that this is something that is, sounds like it's new, it's different and it's exploring a a different angle. Now this is, is is this and I if I if you said it and I missed it or misunderstood, is this a Star Trek related thing or is this something different that you're doing uh that is its own own world, its own science fiction? It is its own piece of science fiction. Okay. Um I know that a lot of Star Trek productions call themselves Starship enter and name here, right? Yep. Um but no, we're doing something completely different because, well, it can't be Star Trek. It just simply cannot be Star Trek with the direction that we're going with it. You know, um, it's it's an action-packed kind of roller coaster ride that asks a lot of questions about who we are, uh, where we're going, and everything else. It's got the potential to go three movies, two television series, 
Oh. And uh, um, I'm thinking about really just starting to develop product and just release it on my website to help this thing go. Um, my wife even suggests taking parts of the novelization that I've been working on and just leaking it here and there. Um, that could work. I could work, yeah. Um, but I mean, right now, uh, the budget we're trying to raise for this is uh, a $50 million budget and we're trying to, and we want to release it uh, theatrically. Um, that would be big. That's a big goal. It is a very big goal. And, uh, you know, getting the right ta- kind of talent and the right kind of interest and in backing on it is uh, at least for me personally um, and, and my team has been challenging so far, but Hopefully, with a little luck uh, and a little bit more interest, um, we can make this happen for you know all the fans and all the people that are investing money into it can make a little bit. What I should clarify: we don't have any real investors right now. <laughs> Working on that—that's the next step. <laughs> That's exactly it. Uh, so, uh, I mean, it's. We have a lot of talent on board. You know, those people that work on the gods and men that went on to do and and renegades that went on to do things like Top Gun Maverick or uh, uh, some of the other Star Trek fan uh, films and and uh, other big projects like Marvel projects and everything else. A lot of artists are on board for it. Um, But we've run into that situation where we just don't have anything at this moment that we can move forward with, um, you know, that income. So, um, yeah, I don't even know how much of this is going to make it to the podcast. All of it. All All of of it. it. Yes. So that's the way I like to do it is I really don't do a lot of cutting and editing. I like things to be the way it happened. Uh, so it's, it's that link in the chain. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, well, I think that there, there are things out there that can be overproduced. If I could Mm -hmm. say where everything is, I guess, tried to splice together perfectly so that there's, it takes away some of that, some of that nuance, but no, it's, if, if you were to fall backwards in your chair, that's going to make it in it. Hey, that, that happened. There you go. So be very careful. Uh, and (laughs) (laughs) so could you tell us where to where can our audience help with this project to help support the project you said you had a kickstarter so is there anything else you can you can tell to the audience that may help direct that the eyes on that project and that interest uh i don't have a kickstarter for for starship echelon um the reason why I don't have a Kickstarter for it is because of the budgetary number required. Um, look, as you know, and as your viewers know, uh, and as the professionals that are watching this know, you only really get one shot at, at making a first impression, right? Mm-hmm. And Lord knows I've worn out my first impression lot. Um, <laughs> uh, but the... The truth is, if I go put this out to Kickstarter, right, 
um, then I have to make the movie for however much gets raised, right? Right. Uh, and based on my experiences on Renegades, I know that visual effects alone are going to be close to five to ten million dollars. Man, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's it, and that's that's inexpensive. Oh, that's inexpensive. <laughs> that's inexpensive. <laughs> you, get, you get a lot of these movies, uh, like like uh, what Tom Cruise is in, and you know these visual effects budgets can balloon. Um, uh, I, I was talking to um, uh, another gentleman that was on on uh, the card production. Um, and he thinks that it could be made for $10 million. Okay. Uh, that's, that's my visual effects budget now because yeah. the professional said so, right? Uh-huh. Uh, the guy that works, that does this day in and day out. Um, and then, um, and then, so likewise, it, he thinks that that would be a suitable number for visual effects budget for this. And I know that being an in-house, working with an in-house team, Yes, we can do that for that much. That, that's not a question in my mind. People that I know, if they're available, can bring it in for that much. Okay. Um, but when we add on uh, the 5% that the director needs, plus the pack and points and, and all the other budgetary concerns with COVID mitigation, and now the writer's strike and the uh, 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 actor strike, you know, the, the question is, where are those negotiations going to wind up looking like for the rest of the industry and consequently the budget for this? Um, so everyone's in kind of in a, in a uh, hurry up and hold the breath kind of mode right now. Yeah. Um, hurry up and wait. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, 2025 is when we're going to wind up seeing a bunch more entertainment coming out of the industry. I think um, you're right. I, I, I get it. I totally get it. So, so, uh, yeah, I mean, other than, other than that, uh, we have a splash page up on, uh, Nakata studios. You can go to the section that's marked in development and go right to the link for Starship Echelon. Um, other people that want to be more involved. Um, I don't know, maybe, uh, you're a professional and you're, an agent, um, uh, uh, another producer. I mean, we have, we have producers on board. Um, but maybe you're an executive producer or someone in that position. Um, you know, they can reach out and speak to us on, uh, or speak to me on Facebook, uh, or email me at, uh, uh, magic at Nakata studios, magic at Nakata studios. Okay. Uh, that, that would be a good place to, to email me at. Um, um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm hoping that we can just make this whole thing happen because, I mean, there's, aside from from uh, Star Wars and Star Trek, I mean, there's there's a what seems like a deficit of good science fiction. And I just really want to be one of those people that can help fill that niche and inspire the next generation of artists, scientists, mathematicians, educators, and people to go out and do great things. Um, 
you know, I don't need to be the next Gene Roddenberry or George Lucas. I, I just got to be me and bring along everyone else that wants to come along for the ride. Yeah. You don't need to be somebody that you're not, basically. Exactly. Well, and that's that's best. That's what you can do. That's best you can do is to be the person that you are and not try to emulate someone else. You're bringing people onto your vision, your project and what you would like what you would like others to see is this is my work. It's not a rehash of me being someone else. Yeah, um, we we uh, when we were developing this, we tried to be very, very straightforward and um, approach the development of this uh, of the story from a very different and more relevant point of view. Um, that's why a lot of our characters are more flawed. Um, Gene Roddenberry wrote very, very structured, very much more evolved people. Um, and, and I, I credit him with, with, you know, inspiring a lot of people to be better than what they could have been. Right. Um, I, I mean, Look at, look at Michelle Nichols, right? I mean, um, she, she was a true inspiration to me. Uh, just doing what she did and then, and having Gene Roddenberry say, you know, no, you gotta stay on board or, or, and Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, it was, uh, really tragic when, when she, when she left us because, you know, I worked with her on a couple different things. Um, and, uh, I was at her goodbye convention also. Mm hmm. Um, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was just you know, that one was difficult. Um, that, that was difficult watching her pets or not watching. I mean, I wasn't there, but I mean, like watching the news. Seeing, yeah, yeah, we yeah. get it. Yeah. yeah. Be, being being present. And when it happened, it was kind of one of those. Where were you when this happened moments? Yeah, yeah, that it really was. Um, you know, um, so it, yeah, I don't even know where I was going with this. It happens to me all the time. That's okay. I get um, into those rabbit holes and just start going in that that little spiral. You know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I know. I, your viewers are are watching this, going, "Oh God, when's he gonna stop?" <laughs> Anyone who's watching us that that knows us that's followed Beyond Trek podcast over the years, that's we openly admit it. That's kind of one of one of our things. We will be on something, and I've I've done this. I would stop us and just say, and of course, like I told you, everything we record is pretty much there. And I would tell the guys, how did we get here? What are we what are we talking about and how did we end up at this point? Because yeah, you just you start making those tangents and at some point someone has to realize, okay, wait a minute, how we went from talking about this to now here and they have nothing to do with each other. So we went from point A to point M and and all all of the stuff in between. Yeah, ex exactly. Um there's you know, so 
Um, I, uh, I have on my wall over here uh, some of the ideas and, and loose ideas, loose concepts, and everything else that I have um, for Echelon. Um, you want to see it? Yes. Yeah. If you can, I'd love to see that. All right, Let's all check right, it out. Hang on. Hang on. Okay. We're, we're going to float now. <laughs> so the rest of the world gets to see some of what I have. Oh, I like that. I like that poster. Yes. So I, I can, uh, I'll, I'll give you a, a, uh, shot of the, uh, oh, of that, uh, a clean shot. Oh, hi, son. <laughs> this is my son, Hikaru. You're being streamed to the world right now on a podcast, son. Hello. <laughs> That was a very fast getaway. <laughs> Pivot okay. on the heels, boom, gone. <laughs> and this is why they say you shouldn't work with animals or kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've I've been photobombed by my kids. Also, that's just hey, we're not we're not in studios doing this. It's it's no, all I, it's all natural. <laughs> we'll do yeah, it live. I mean, this, this, yeah, right. This is this is my actual office. This is actually where I do my all my all my computer work. Right. I mean, well, what's well, what's funny is you go from you know you're sitting there, you yeah. turn the camera, you come back, and, he, and your son's just standing there. It's like whoa, <laughs> that kind of made me jump for a second. <laughs> it's a good thing this wasn't Assassin's Creed. You'd, you'd be gone. <laughs> So uh, aside from Starship Echelon, um, we're working on a, a project called Fearwood also. Um, and uh, that's a smaller project. Um, right now we're in the development stage for that, for creating a short. Um, uh, that also needs funding. That's probably something that is uh, crowdfundable, just based on the budgetary numbers that we're looking for. Um, but um, I, yeah, so we're, we're developing a couple different things uh, in Nakata Studios, and and um, there's uh, other props and different patterns and things that, that I'm going to wind up uh, re-releasing um, because well, people ask me for these things, um, and as long as there's no other issues or entanglements or anything that I can think of that should, that stops that from happening, which I don't think that there, is, there are for, for like clothing patterns and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they're, they're pants and shirts. Um, I don't think that there should be any issues. I mean, well, the next thing I'm going to wind up doing probably is start uh, exploring more stuffs on the echelon side and just starting to filter out some some design work and some prop items that i know i can create here to give viewers a sense of the world right uh, right and that is excellent i like everything i'm hearing there i really hope that this that these projects get to where you need them to be because they sound exciting to me. And so hopefully that is something that you're able to, to get that backing and to make that goal. 
Um, and I'm definitely going to follow that, follow your posts on Facebook. And that would be great if you start getting there because I know I'm definitely pulling for you. If I, if I had $10 million just sitting around, sure, you know, love to help you, but I'd be excited if I found $10 in between a couch cushion right now. So you know, how it is on, on our end. Well, Scott, I really, really appreciate you taking out the time in your day to come on here with me and talk about Star Trek of Gods and Men and Renegades and talk about Starship Echelon and your other projects. So appreciate all of your time, hoping that all of these things take off for you. Anything that myself or Beyond Trek podcast can do to help you out. I mean, we're always, always willing to help out our uh, uh, fellow fans with any of the things that, that they're doing. So Scott, again, thank you. Really appreciate it. And for those in our audience watching and listening, we'll be back again for more of these discussions with fans and creators. So enjoy and live long and prosper. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can support us at patreon.com slash beyond Trek. We are Beyond Trek Podcast. Lower your inhibitions and surrender your years. We will add inspirational and hilarious Trek content to your day. Your attention will adapt to subscribe to us. Resistance is futile. <laughs>